Welcome to worship at Mill Creek, January the 7th, 2024. My name is Doug Kite, Mill Creek attender, Chapel Streeter since 2021. I had the honor of serving on the church staff from 2013 to 2019, and since the fall of 2021, I have been serving as one of your executive council members. We're going to do, we're going to begin a little differently today because today is a different day. Most, if not all, of you received an email this week that informed you that Pastor Jeff has been placed on an indefinite leave of absence from his role as lead pastor. The email included information about why this became necessary, and I'm not going to review that today. My encouragement to you is to go back, review that email. If you didn't get one, it's available on our website, the bottom of our homepage and it will probably be there for a few more days. I'm sure this is shocking and painful news for all of you, and I'm no different. Jeff has served as the student pastor for my children. He served as my pastor. We were colleagues on Pastor Brian's leadership team for three years. And then for three years, he was my boss. And we worked together virtually every day. Long, long hours. Through it all, he's a friend. There are lots of things to think and feel. Grief, sadness, hurt, anger. Confusion, compassion. You may feel like we on the Executive Council shared too much. You may feel we shared too little. You may feel we got it just about right. Or you may be in a fourth group that says, I don't know what to feel. I don't, under, I don't know how to process this. And all of those, all four of those, are absolutely valid perspectives. Those of us who have been closely involved have certainly felt our share of all those things. But what I want you to sense from your leadership and what we're seeking to do in charting a course of healing and restoration is to balance truth and grace. Truth, because it can only live in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sin cannot hide in the darkness and have anything good come from it. So it has to be brought into the light. Our only hope for healing and growth. Grace because God's unmerited favor has been lavished upon all of us. 
And so this process must be richly bathed with grace every step of the way. Now, achieving this balance of truth and grace is very, very difficult. It's hard and it's messy. And trust me when I say that the hard stuff and the messy stuff is just beginning. Where do we go from here? Our executive council will direct Pastor Jeff in a process aimed at personal and spiritual healing. We don't know how long this process will take, nor can we even guess the outcome. But we do hope and pray for a redemptive outcome and restoration in ministry, whatever form that may take. We're prayerfully placing that in the loving, strong hands of our sovereign God. The Executive Council has asked Pastor Brian Coffey, our former lead pastor, now serving as pastor of the South Street campus, to step back into the role as interim lead pastor and assume all of Jeff's duties and responsibilities. And we are blessed beyond measure to have someone like Brian to step into those big shoes. We're in good hands. Of course, we're in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our executive team, our pastors, and our staff will continue to provide leadership and ministry programming just as always. And you're going to hear more of that today. It's a very exciting time. Lots of things launching. Our prayer is that all of us will continue to be the Chapel Street Church family, and we're a big family. Record-setting 5,200 people across all our campuses gathered over two days, December 23 and 24, to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Together we are the church, and together we must continue to be the church. So yes, this is difficult, it's confusing, and it's an unforeseen time. But I believe this is not only a painful moment, I believe it is a moment of opportunity, actually a holy moment. A moment when we can experience and demonstrate truth and grace to a watching world. We can live out our calling as lights of the world. Jesus says we are lights of the world. We reveal truth. We demonstrate grace. And they can see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Amen? So many of you have asked, what can I do? Just four quick things. One, pray, obvious but powerful, as you're going to learn today from Pastor Joe. Pray for Jeff and Aaron, their family. Pray for our leadership. They're going to be stretched. They need grace. Our staff, they're going to be stretched. They need grace. Pray for each other as the body that the truth will prevail. Trust. Number two, trust our leadership. We know you'll have many questions. 
Trust the path of truth and grace. Trust that over time, your questions will be answered. And in the meantime, members of the leadership, members of the executive council are here to answer your questions. We'll be out in the lobby afterwards by the welcome desk following the service. Our emails are available on our website under the leadership tab. Let us know what's on your mind. Three, believe. Remember, God is always at work. Believe he will, in his way and his time, transform this into a beautiful story of redemption for Pastor Jeff and for us. Number four, be. Be the church. Be the church we've always been. Let's be a church that demonstrates the kind of love Paul describes so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 13, a love that rejoices in the truth, that always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. So before we begin our worship time, let's pray. Lord, we're gathered here as your church family, as your children, your people, to worship you. From you, nothing, nothing is hidden. You know our hearts and how burdened they are with sadness and confusion, anger and hurt. And Lord Jesus, we accept your open invitation to come to you because we are weary, we are burdened, and we need your rest. Good Shepherd, our souls need restoring, and that's something only you can do. We're grateful to be here with our fellow brothers and sisters to worship you openly and fully, and may all that we do and say bring you glory. And thank you, Lord, for meeting us right where we are. Amen. Hey, church family. We believe here at Chapel Street that God has created us for relationships. That's why we encourage you to join a small group and help make a, a big church feel like a small, close-knit community. So we're excited to share with you two opportunities to connect to God and to connect to others. The first opportunity is to join our Rooted program. We launched the first Rooted session almost five years ago, and since then, hundreds of Chapel Streeters have built friendships, discovered more about their purpose, and found community in a time where it seems to be more and more difficult to find. We've seen dozens of people choose to be baptized, find places to serve, break areas of strongholds in their lives, and share their faith story in many cases for the very first time. That's why I'm so excited to invite you to our next session of Rooted, which is launching Sunday, January 14th. It's a new year and a great time to find a group of people to go through life with and to discover more of how God has created you and what he's made you for. Rooted groups are small groups of people that meet each week for 10 weeks to do just that, to explore who God is, who we are in him, and to answer the question, how do I live as a follower of Jesus in the world today? And so today, if you're looking to get connected here at our church or simply wanting to take that next step in your faith, I'd love for you to join us this Rooted session. And the next opportunity is something that we've been piloting here at the Mill Creek campus for the last two years. And now we're extending the invitation churchwide. 
The Alpha Course is a safe place to explore the big questions that we all ask. And guests from any background can unpack the basics of the Christian faith. Do you have a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, maybe a family member that you've been praying for? And maybe you find yourself asking questions about what do Christians believe and what do I believe and why do I believe it? The Alpha Course covers the essential elements of the Christian faith in a way that's easy to understand for people who, who might be hearing the gospel for the first time or those asking life's critical questions. After each week's video, we'll have a time where guests can feel comfortable to dialogue about life and faith and God in a space that is judgment-free. Our first church-wide session will begin on January 27th. So bring your questions and find out that you're not alone. So whatever question you're asking, whether it's what do I believe and why, or how do I live as a follower of Jesus? We believe that this is a perfect time to start a new rhythm, to grow in your relationship with God, and connect with the people around you. There is nothing worse than seeing yourself on video. That was truly terrible, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to jump into God's Word in just a minute. Before we do, uh, let me just add on to what Doug shared at the beginning of the service. Uh, just a few thoughts with, uh, I'm sure, what's on a lot of our minds. Um, usually this is one of my favorite times of the ministry year. A new year for a lot of people is, is this kind of new rhythm, a chance to, to jump in. We have a lot of opportunities. You heard about uh, Rooted and about Alpha, and I am convinced that, that joining one of those groups could be so good for your faith and your life and your connection to our church. I'd love for you. You can sign up for those on our website, and, and we're going to continue doing what we believe we're called to do. We believe this is still a great time to experience God's grace and to grow in your faith and to make an impact in your communities. We had an incredible Christmas Eve together. Here at this campus alone, we had over 800 people join us for worship at Christmas Eve. How incredible is that? Our annual Serve the World project, our goal was to raise $300,000. We raised $322,000, all of it going to our partners around the world. Thank you. Yes, praise God. And so usually, at least for me, uh, this is a time where I feel a lot of excitement and energy and there's a lot of celebration. And, and yet, as we shared, this is probably a time for you where maybe you're feeling a lot of different things. Maybe you're here today feeling shock or hurt or anger or confusion. Maybe it's worry or compassion or concern. And so today, just as we begin our time, let me just share as one of your pastors, wh wherever you're at right now, it's okay. And we are here for you. Uh, Pastor Sterling uh, is preaching at our Kessinger campus. If you know Sterling, you know how much he wants to be with you today and how much he loves you. And so if we can pray for you, if we can talk with you, if you have questions, we certainly don't have all the answers, but, but this is what we do as the church. We walk through seasons of life together. And so we're here for you. Uh, one of the most important things that we can do, as we heard, is just to be in prayer as a church. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series all about that. And so we're going to jump in, but before we do, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for another day that you've given us. Thank you for the hope that we have in your promises and the knowledge that your grace is enough and your mercy is more than our sin. Or that your presence is among us, and so we ask that you would speak to us now. Amen. 
uh, our series uh, that we are jumping into today is called Praying with Paul. I'm curious if I uh, asked you to describe your prayer life, how you would respond. Or put it this way, what is prayer like for you? Is it difficult? Life-giving? Boring? Restful? Is it inconsistent? Sometimes I'm really, really good at it, other times not so much. Is it a source of guilt? I know I need to do it more, but I just can't seem to. Or ask yourself this question, what is prayer? What's it all about? Why do we do it? Why is it such an emphasis for people of faith all over the world? Recently, my wife and I have been trying to get our son to participate in our like pre-meal prayers, and so we'll sit down for dinner or something, and we'll do everything like really exaggerated, like, all right, bow your heads, and and one time I was doing this, and, and I looked up as I was praying, and I saw him, and he had food in his hand, and he was staring at me, and he was like, you could tell, he was like, can I start eating? Like, is that cool? <laughs> and he was just so confused, like, what are these people doing? I don't understand. But that's why we're doing this series, because for many of us, prayer is confusing, isn't it? Or it's difficult, or it's something that we just can't seem to figure out in the way that we want to. We love God, we want to grow in our faith, and yet our prayer life just feels like we're kind of stuck. It's a burden not a delight. So for the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking at the prayers of Paul, the New Testament author, and and the prayers that he's written throughout his letters. And the goal of this series is not just to learn more about Paul's prayer life, but yours and mine, to, to see how prayer can become something that is a source of growth and of life that deepens our trust in God. So each week we're going to look at a different one of these prayers. Today, uh, if you have a Bible with you or one on your phone, this is a great week to have that open just throughout our time. Uh, Ephesians 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 15 is where this prayer begins. I'll read it. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. We don't really pray like that anymore, do we? Today, though, I want to just point out to you just a few aspects of this beautiful prayer and how it can influence our own lives today. The first thing I want to show you that Paul prays for is a prayer of knowledge. This is his first desire for this early church, that we would grow in our knowledge of God. And it's important that we remember or recognize that Paul is writing these words from a jail cell. He's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, and yet this is his prayer. If it were me, if I ever get put in prison, I'm going to pray and ask you that, that I would get out of prison. That would be my desire, and yet that's what we see here. And we're going to notice this uh, throughout this series, that Paul understands that prayer is something more. There's something more to prayer that, that Paul recognizes, that, that there's more than just approaching God that you would change our circumstances. It's not bad to pray that way. It's good. We're told to bring our anxieties, our fears, our cares to God because he loves us. And yet Paul understands that there's something more about prayer. 
That it's not just us coming to God, asking him to change our situation. It's us coming to God, asking him to change our very hearts. Billy Graham put it this way, that before prayer changes others, it first changes us. Uh, my wife and I started dating our, our junior year of college, it was about 11 years ago around this time, uh, and we started dating, and then a few months after that following summer, I spent the whole summer living in Atlanta, Georgia. I was doing work with a missions organization, and the neighborhood that I lived in, uh, I'm not sure how this happened, but it had no cell phone service and no internet coverage. It was not that long ago. I was living in the old days, and so I like, couldn't text her, couldn't call her, we couldn't FaceTime. I thought about writing her letters, like I was that level of desperate. I didn't, I was too lazy. Um, but like, it, was, it was this weird experience where for three months, our whole relationship was talking on the phone once a week, and we could barely hear each other. It was just draining and, and difficult and weird and I remember getting through that summer and we went back to school for our senior year and, and I got to see her every day and talk to her and get to know her more. And I was like, oh, this is, this is how it was meant to be. This is how relationships are designed to work. And that's Paul's desire for the church, that that would be our experience in prayer. Look again with me to the first couple of verses that we see here. Verse 15, he says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That word that Paul uses for knowledge uh, is really interesting. There were a couple that he could have used. Uh, The word that he chooses here is this idea of uh, relational first-hand knowledge. So think of it this way. Think of taking a, a test and seeing an answer on your test and, and having the answer and, and saying, I know this one. And then think of the person that you love most in the world and looking at them and saying, I know this one. Do you see the difference? Paul's saying that this is the type of knowledge that I desire for you to have of God. Not just intellectual facts about him, not just stuff that I memorize, not just things I can read, as good as all that is. My prayer is that you would know who God is, that you would experience him in a new way, that this knowledge would sink from your head to your heart, and that is what prayer is. Prayer is the opportunity to see and talk to and get to know your heavenly Father. And it is how we were designed to live. This, by the way, is why Jesus always prioritized prayer in his life. If you read the Gospels, you notice this, and it pops up over and over again, how even in the midst of this three years of world-changing history, Jesus always made time to pray. Luke chapter chapter 5 tells us this. It's one of my favorite examples. Jesus is teaching and healing and performing miracles. And it says this, that the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. You ever wonder why Jesus prayed? Did he have to pray? He he had authority from the Father. He's fully God, fully man. Why would he pray? 
because he understood this, that prayer is quality time with your heavenly father. It is a gift. David Platt put it this way, that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get something, but to be with someone. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person or not. I'm not. I used to be, but I was bad at them, so I gave up. (laughs) But if you are, what better resolution could you make than this? What if this year this was our prayer? For yourself, for your kids, for your family, for our church. What if this year our prayer was, God, we want to know you more. We have requests, we have hopes, we have fears and things on our mind, and we're going to bring that to you. But before we do, would you just reveal your spirit of wisdom to us? God, we want to know the joy that is experienced from knowing your love. We want to know the peace that is available even in anxious times. God, we want to be able to say at the end of this year that I know more, not about you, but I know more of you. This is Paul's first prayer, a prayer of knowledge. The second one we're going to look at here is a prayer of hope. This is verse uh, 18. Paul writes this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. What a weird phrase that is. Now, for Paul, when he writes that, the thing that he has in mind is a little bit different than what comes to mind for for you and for me. When we think of the heart, oftentimes what we we think of is emotion or feeling. And, And for Paul, the heart was that, but it was also more than that. In his time, the heart represented really the center of who you were as a person. It was your emotions, but it was also your thought life, your intention, your will, your desire. It was the core of your identity as a person, who I am at the foundation level. And so this is Paul's prayer that at your center, at the bullseye of who you are, that you would know the hope of God's calling on your life. That when you give your life to Jesus, you become a person of unshakable hope. Hope, when it's written about in the biblical sense, is this idea of confidence or anticipation or trust in a future event or reality. This is why we encourage you to to bring your Bibles, why I asked you to open to Ephesians 1. If you have that open, uh, you can see exactly what Paul means when he writes about hope, what he has in mind when he talks about this hope of his calling. Earlier in Ephesians 1, he begins his letter with this beautiful outpouring of what God has done. Verse 3 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So Paul is saying, God has blessed us so much, and then he goes into what those blessings are. He says that he chose us, that he adopted us, that he redeemed us, that he revealed his will to us. He gave us an inheritance, and he sealed us with his promises. And Paul is saying, I want you to know that this is true of you. I want you to build your life on this reality, that at your core you would know that this is who I am, that I am a son or a daughter of God, that he chose me, adopted me, and loves me. 
And there is nothing the world can do that can separate me from that love. Peter talks about the, this in uh, his letter. First Peter chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is to be our hope. That we are alive because he is alive. I remember the first time I realized I put my hope into the wrong thing. Uh, it was October 14th, 2003. I was 11 years old, and the Cubs were five outs away from going to the World Series. Some of you know where the story is going. Uh, they were up 3 nothing in the eighth inning, literally five outs away from going to the World Series for the first time in 58 years. I was convinced that they were going to win, that this was the year that my 11 long years of waiting were going to come to an end. And they were about to go, and, and then this happened. Ugh. If you're not a sports fan, or if you are more emotionally healthy than I am, uh, that is uh, Cubs left fielder Moises Alou going up to catch a foul ball that would bring them four outs away from going to the World Series when uh, you can see some hands reaching out that prevented him from making that catch. We don't have to talk about that, though, because what happened after is even worse. Uh, the Cubs fell apart, as did my life. Uh, they made one mistake after another. Uh, and they lost that game 8-3, to three. they lost the next game, they lost the series, and I realized that life is not fair, and I'm getting a little mad, I need to calm down. <laughs> now, that's a silly example of what Paul knows to be true. He knows that to hope is to be human. That all of us hope in something or someone. That the person that you know that is farthest from God, what, whatever their belief system is, even if their belief system is no belief, they hope in something. They live their lives confident of a future event or reality. And Paul is aware of that, and he's saying that unless you ground yourself in the living hope of Christ, that hope will always go somewhere else. 2024 among other things, is an election year. I don't know if you've heard. Seems like it's going to be fun. <laughs> Some of us, though, especially if we're big consumers of the news, will be tempted to put our hope in whoever we think will make the best president. And if that person doesn't win, we will be tempted to give in to fear and anxiety. Some of us will be tempted or have been tempted to look to our money for all the things that God offers. Life, comfort, happiness. Because money can give us all of those things quicker than God can and with more control, except with none of the actual fulfillment. Those of us who are married might do this with our spouse. Those of us who are single might do it with the idea of one. But if I could just find this person, or if I can just fix this person, then everything will be fine. Some of us are aware of this as well, that it's even possible to put your hope or even your faith in a spiritual leader, only to find that there is only one worthy of that. To hope is to be human. We all build our lives on something or someone. And this is why Paul is saying, this needs to be your prayer. That God, would you ground me 
Would you allow me to build my life in the only thing that never changes and the only one that we can always rely on? The living hope of a resurrected Savior. There's a way of uh, praying that will be familiar with some of you and new maybe for others. It's a simple idea of praying the Bible, of, of reading Scripture as a prayer to God himself. If you're a a homework person, if you like a sermon with an application or a challenge, I'd invite you to consider uh, doing this. If it's new to you, it's a a simple thing where you read a verse or you read a passage of Scripture slowly and thoughtfully and you reflect on it and you read it and pray it to God as you do. And so we could use this verse as an example, verse 18. I could read this verse and say, I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened so that I may know what is the hope of his calling. Or you could pray it this way, I pray the eyes of your heart and fill in the name of your spouse, or your kids, or your neighbor, or your pastor, and say, God, I pray that they know the hope that is theirs in Christ. If you do this, a great book to pray through is the Psalms. Many call it the prayer book of the Bible. Uh, and it, it just, I would encourage you, just one psalm a day. Read through it slowly, thoughtfully. Pray it to God. If you do this, one of the things you'll notice is just how often this idea of hope comes up. I brought three examples with me. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, may we put, for we put our hope in you. God, may that be true of us. Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. You are my hope, Lord God, my confidence from my youth. This is why prayer matters, because it draws me away from any false hope and empty promise. And it redirects me to put my hope in him. So we see a prayer of knowledge, a prayer of hope, and then last, a prayer of power. Back when I was uh, learning how to drive in high school, my parents wanted me to learn how to drive stick shift. Uh, And so to do so, they asked one of my neighbors to come and teach me. He was a big car guy. He had multiple cars. They were all uh, stick shift. And so uh, he he agreed. He was excited about it. And this is the car that I learned how to drive a stick on. I know. Uh, This is a a 2006 Corvette. It was my dream car. You can see it. That's uh, our front yard in Wheaton, a very mountainous area. Um, (laughs) But if you ever driven a manual car... You know it's a little bit trickier, and I was not good at it. Like, any time I went from stop to start, I stalled out. Like, we were just, like, herky-jerky, like, one little thing at a time. And, and my neighbor was so good and patient. He didn't have kids, and you could tell, uh, because he, <laughs> at one point, was like, you know, I think you're ready to go on the roads, and I was not. Um, and so we're in Wheaton. We turn onto Butterfield Road. Speed limit is 45, and I was going 20 in the right lane. And you should have seen the people flying past us in like their minivans and they see this beautiful sports car and there's this 16-year-old kid terrified and like holding onto the wheel. They're like, what is happening? And this car was so incredible and it, I, I didn't deserve it. It deserved better than me because I, there was so much power. There was so much that I wasn't accessing because I just didn't know what I was doing. And Paul's saying for many of our Christian lives, that is the reality that we live in that there's so much power of God that we simply do not access, that there's so much more that we so often fail to grab onto. Look at our text one more time. Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. So Paul's praying that, that we would know the power of God. And notice that phrase, toward us who believe. In other words, when you follow Jesus, God redirects and he shifts his power in your direction. That God's power is toward you. Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of those who love God you've put your faith in Christ, this is the reality of your life that God is for you and not against you. He has not abandoned you, but he is with you. That we have a God who works to bring redemption and healing and restoration. This is what he does. For many of us, this prayer, though, uh, speaks to a temptation that that we often face, especially those of us that grew up going to church or if you've been following Jesus for a long time, often we face this temptation of, of almost settling for the life that we have. Of thinking, you know, as close as I am to God, whatever progress, whatever healing, whatever strongholds he's broken, I've almost reached a plateau and I kind of feel stuck. And maybe this is all that there is for me. Maybe this is as good as it's going to get. And Paul's saying, no, you have a God of immeasurable greatness. Don't live your life in the first gear. To show us this power, he points us to what is for Paul the, the greatest example of the power of God. Verse 20, God, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. In other words, Paul's saying, look at what your God can do. Do you see the power that is within him? There is no one greater than him. No one can do what he can. There is nothing stronger, not even death. The uh, city of Ephesus, Paul is writing this letter to, uh, it was known, famous for uh, the, the worship of Greek and Romans God. It was, it was kind of the epicenter of worship. People would come from all over the Roman world to debate who was most worthy of worship, who was best, who was strongest and greatest, and who could do the most. In fact, Paul came to Ephesus and debated for two years, and that's how the church was born, as he won people over to the way of Jesus. And so this is what would come to mind for these Christians when they heard this prayer, that they would be reminded that you would be reminded that there is no one greater than God, that no one can do what he can do, that when you pray, you pray to a God that has this power within him, and that power is working towards you. That what God has done in Christ is what he promises to do for you. That the Christian life is about new life and new birth and bringing healing where there is brokenness. And bringing holiness where there is sin. And bringing life where there was death. When you pray to God, you pray to a God of immeasurable greatness. 
a God who looks at you and does not see your failures or your flaws or the things that you have not done that you were supposed to do and you feel so guilty about. He sees you as a glorious inheritance, a treasure, someone worth dying for, someone worthy of unconditional love. This is the God that you have. And this is what we do as we come to the table for communion as we close this service. We're going to do so in just a moment. If you're uh, newer to Chapel Street or, or uh, haven't been with us for a communion service, uh, the way that we do this, first of all, we see this as God's table and not our own. Uh, you don't have to be a member at Chapel Street. Uh, if you've put your faith in the hope of his calling, you're welcome to participate in this way. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to worship together. And, and how we do this, in, in just a moment, I'll invite you to come through the center aisle when you're ready. Uh, to pick up the elements and then return to your seats on the outside aisle. And I just encourage you, as you do so, when you get back to your seat, to just take a moment in prayer. Maybe it's been a little while. God is eager to hear from you. Maybe you need to be reminded of the hope that is yours. Maybe you need to grow in your knowledge of who he is. Ask for his power to work in you and through you. Whatever it is for you, take a moment. Don't rush through this. And when you're ready, you can take the elements on your own. If you're not able to come up to the front here for any reason, you can just put your hand up now and one of our ushers will bring the elements to you. Uh, We're told that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he took bread and he took cup and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In this cup is a new covenant, a new promise sealed in my love. And so eat and drink and remember me. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come to you in prayer and grateful for the fact that we can do so. Lord, we thank you that you are eager to hear our voices, that you want to reveal yourself to us, or that we have hope in who you are and what you have done. We thank you for this sacrifice that we remember the sign of love that you have given to us. So help us to hold on to that now. Amen. Amen. Uh, A few things just as we close today. One of the things that we uh, believe is that it's good to talk about prayer, but but even better to pray. And so uh, there will be a a series of initiatives throughout this month you're going to be hearing about. One of them uh, being every Tuesday at noon, this building will be open for you to come and pray. It'll be very loosely structured. I know for many of you that's not able, you're not able to do that with your schedule. We'd love for you to pray on your own at lunch or whatever life looks like for you, uh, but we'd love to have you join us if you're able to for that. Uh, also, as we mentioned earlier, if, if you would like to talk, pray, if you have questions uh, just about what's going on in our church or just what's going on in your life, this is what we he- are here to do and what we're honored to do. Uh, I'll be up at the front here. I believe Doug and some other of our executive council members will be out in the lobby and we're here for you. Receive now this benediction. Would you go in the living hope that is yours in Jesus Christ, in the knowledge of his calling and love, the excitement that he has when you come to him in prayer. Amen.